Hello listener, it's the host of Campbell's Football's Grant Campbell here, with a message to every one of you listening to this podcast. Please keep safe during this very stressful time with the outbreak of coronavirus affecting not just football, but our everyday lives. Make sure your friends and family are safe during this very stressful time for many of us, not just physically, but mentally too. But Campbell's Footballs will still be producing podcasts. However, there will be very few predictions because obviously there's not much football going on at the moment. I have a few in-conversation specials though, which I'm sure you would love to listen to. But at the end of the day, please make sure that you look after yourselves. Take the time to listen to the show in your own home, with friends and family. And remember that we are all in this together. So take care, be safe, and I'll see you soon. So back for another episode of my podcast, Campbell's Footballs. I'm joined this week by an established journalist, uh, Oliver Hall. Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you, Grant. Pleasure. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to chatting to you, Oli. I've, I've always been a big fan of the pieces you write in um, the newspapers and the, talking about sport, but it's a real shame at the moment we actually don't have any football to talk about. How are you kind of coping with this um, coronavirus activity that's going at the moment? It must be uh, problematic for yourself. Yeah. Yes, it is. I think, I mean, I think probably for all of us who are sports writers, you know, we're sports writers with no sports writers, really. And I think that, that it, it, certainly no live sport. And I think that's difficult because that's, in, you know, in many ways, that's the part that probably most of us enjoy most is actually reporting about things that we see and action that we see. And I mean, obviously, I think there are still an awful lot of, there's still a lot of sports news out there. I mean, I think every day sees every day sees different developments about what's going to happen to the leagues. Are they going to be voided? Are the results going to stand as they are? To try and prolong the season, and you know there are some huge, huge issues out there. And I think a lot of the journalists who report on the news of sports and financial news, you know, it's incredibly actually busy time for them because there are so many. Yeah. challenges that, that clubs, particularly football, well, not football clubs, actually clubs across the board, football clubs, cricket clubs, rugby clubs um, are facing. Um, there are a lot of huge issues. But, yeah, it's it's difficult, uh, it's difficult to write about sport without, without any action. And um, I think at the moment, you know, I, I've got a couple of things... Over, I've uh, done um, about the Olympic uh, interviews with athletes about the Olympics, which I, um, this weekend, given that that's still current, the games have only just been cancelled. But then I think it's, it's going to be a case um, uh, like doing what most journalists do and trying to, trying to hit the phones a little bit. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really intriguing time and it's unprecedented, absolutely. So we, we hope everybody is keeping safe during these difficult times. Ollie, I really am um, honoured to have you on the show because I really I enjoy your journalism and I wanted to know a little bit more about your sort of development and your career in sport and notably football um, more specifically. Uh, what made you want to get involved in football in the first place in your beginning? Uh, I suppose, really, a love of a love of football. I mean, I um, so when I was in my, you know, I, I like playing football. When I was in my when I was in my early teens, I think I started going to watch football seriously. I went to started going to watch Stockport County, uh, which was my local team. My dad was born and and sort of raised in Stockport. We lived a few miles away. They Stockport played on a Friday night, so I became a sort of um, football addict really I would go and watch Stockport on a Friday night and then either Man City or Man United on a on a Saturday afternoon and mm -hmm. um, started clocking up a lot of games and um, so I think you know eventually I kind of married that uh, love of football and sport generally I played a lot of tennis in the summers with with uh, an interest in, in writing and I suppose you know that interest in writing evolves and when I was younger I thought I was going to be some sort of, you know essay writer or something and, and, and I gradually began to realize that journalism you know didn't have a, an awful lot in common with the essays I was writing at school but yeah. um, I I managed to yeah I managed to I managed to marry those two things together and um, you know I feel incredibly lucky I still feel incredibly lucky to be doing what I'm doing because I um, you know I I I enjoy it so much and I, I, it's um, yeah it's it's uh, it's if you love sport, you know, it's, uh, it's a great job. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm in full agreement. I, I, I enjoy football as a passion. Um, obviously, I do my own stuff away from the away from the game, but I, I, I just love the intricacies within football. And I more and more, more as I get older, appreciate what journalists write. And I think yourself as well, the, the way you articulate things um, makes, for a learned reader, very enjoyable to, to read, in my view. Um, and I think it's good for all audiences as well um, just going back a little bit to talk about uh, football at your younger level did you play it at a younger level? No not really I mean look I I played at a um, I played at a very basic level I played sort of um, I played pub football on a Sunday morning in the um, <laughs> in the Mac, in the Macfield and District Sunday League so I mean look it was it was <laughs> I like to think of it as a relatively um, hard school but the the um, the standard you know was not the best I think the standard was the standard was people sort of throwing up on the touchline before a game because they'd have a particularly heavy night on the um, on the Saturday yeah, night yeah. before and um, that kind of that kind of thing I mean that, again I absolutely loved it but I I um, that a lot could never, I could never claim to have played to um, any sort of standard. I played, I played for, you know, I played when I was at university and stuff. And I still, I still play five a side now. We've had the, my friends have had the same five a side court at a um, leisure centre uh, up near Manchester for the last thirty-five years. So um, actually, when you know, when the 
coronavirus uh, when the latest shutdown happened and and um, leisure centres were locked down too. That was uh, obviously I, we. I think all of us who played, we all recognised by that point that things were coming to an end and social distancing meant that it wasn't feasible for us to say it feasible or responsible, yeah. obviously, for us to play anymore. But um, but still, you know, when people ask if you miss football since since the shutdown happened I think the first thing that's uppermost in everybody's mind is look sport pales in insignificance beside the sort of struggle that um, the NHS workers are having and we, we all recognise where our priorities no, are but I think, yeah. I, think I, I think we also recognise that for all of us who love sport um, that sport is an escape you know, exactly always has been an escape even in times that that are not as troubled as these and and so to to lose your escape in times that are troubled are as troubled as these is difficult you know and and i don't i don't think there's any i don't think there's any shame in admitting that It it doesn't mean that you've not got your sense of perspective right it just means that you you've lost one of the things that um was something that you used to to relax or take your mind off Things. No, I absolutely agree with that, and I think you uh, spelled it out very, very coolly. Um, what made you want to head into journalism? Was there any sort of key figures that made you want to go into that line of work? You know what, in some ways, I, I'd love to be able to say that. And in some ways, I kind of, it was actually, I didn't really know what else to do. And uh, look, I, I was a student, uh, I was coming out of university in the 80s, and mid-80s when everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of my friends were going into advertising, and that kind of advertising was fixing in in um, in those days. And so that was my first port of call. I didn't really, I didn't cut it um, as an advertising recruit. Yeah, um, yeah. So... Um, I, you know, I was kind of running out of things to do, and I, I managed to get onto a um, a journalism course, a kind of graduate course in Cardiff, um, and that was a. Um, so I've seen people saying that this is a cliche that should not be used anymore, but that was a game changer for me. Really, it was. I, I felt like I learned an awful lot on that course. I had a great time. I made a lot of good friends, and I learned the difference between sort of essay writing and actually journalistic writing. And yeah, I learned about economy of language and different styles of writing, and I, I absolutely loved that. And look. None of that is not to say that I have sort of um, writing heroes then, and I suppose, uh, like a lot of sports journalists, Hugh McElvaney was somebody that I admired. And I was lucky enough when I was writing that I I got to know people like Mike Calvin and uh, Jimmy Lawton, who, Jimmy Lawton was um, a particular hero of mine because he wrote brilliant stuff every single day, you yeah. know, and kind of stuff that I'd, I'd read Jimmy Lawton stuff and think, God, I, I wish I'd written that. I wish I'd thought of that. I wish I'd thought of, you know, something to do. And he was, he was also a very generous colleague to me when I was, when I was, uh, when I was growing up in the industry. And and he, um, you know, he taught me a lot of things. He took me to a lot of places. He's a, he was a he was a great bloke as well. And so it was, that was a privilege to have somebody who was a 
hero when I was growing up to you know to find out that he was uh, just as just as cool in real life yeah yeah it's fantastic to hear that I mean you, you started your career um, at the Liverpool Echo didn't you yeah, I did. Yes, yeah. so I went from I went from my uh, from the course in Cardiff to a job at the Echo and the Daily Post. Actually, so they were the Daily Post. Sadly, is defunct now as a um, as a print edition. I think it still exists online. But the two papers existed side by side. Then the Daily Post was the morning paper in Liverpool and the Wirral in North Wales, and and the Echo was obviously an evening paper. So it's absolutely brilliant place to work and I was um, I was incredibly happy there and I, I, again I learned an awful lot there from a lot of extremely good journalists who um, you know both both, uh, both in news and in sport um, you know and, and, and one of the great things about that that trouble was that I worked across departments so I worked in Liverpool Echo News Daily Post News I covered councils inquests mm-hmm. You know all the the usual stuff that you would do as a training reporter, and um, I, I I really loved it all. Mm-hmm. As a journalist, do you feel you have to be versatile um, in your in your methods and in what you enjoy? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think yeah, I think the more versatile you can be, better. And I think look, I think everybody thinks. Everybody thinks probably the way they did it was the best way, and I, you know, I would, I try not to do that. And, you know, different things work for different people, but I, I feel like I had a good grounding. You know, I learned to be able to um, ad lib stuff. So if you were, you were had to had to file something uh, in a hurry in those days before were carrying your computer around with you, just had to yeah. go into a phone. It's a you're on the line. You just I don't know being covering a road traffic accident mm-hmm. or something. You just have to run into a phone box, speak to a copy taker, and be struck the piece in your head as you were as you were reading it to. Uh, to a copy taker who was taking it down that was you know that was incredibly nerve-wracking but it was also um it was also incredibly thrilling if you it got it right yeah. and and you know it helped that certainly helped me to learn how to work on pressure and i think um i think i learned some very basic tenants of you know i the sort of line from the colour of money with Paul Newman you know yes. in, all of us in our jobs to one extent or another have to learn to be a sort of student of human moves and and so I remember one of the older the old journalists on the news desk when I was going when I used to go to inquests he said to me take some papers down for the coroner mm-hmm. some copies of, some copies of the paper and I, I kind of I remember the first time he did that I thought why is he you know why is he what I thought this is Really, why? I felt a bit embarrassed about it. Why would he? Why would he want me to take papers down for the coroner anyway? So I'd given us the coroner, and sure enough, you know the coroner. And the, the guy said to me, "Look, people like to see their names in newspapers." And so the coroner turns straight to the pages, the reports of the inquest and stuff. They just like to see that. Yeah. You know, it kind of it just it's just human human nature and there's a, there's another phrase in journalism about names make news people look for their names and yeah. people look friends people looks for 
the names of their friends in newspapers or people they know or local people and so it goes on and I think those kind of things are they're very basic but they I felt they were quite important lessons for me. Yeah, you had a, a wonderful start then at the Liverpool Echo, as you've as you brilliantly have described there, and then you moved to the Times. Um, did you feel that was a step up that you were really looking forward to? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, I felt a bit daunted by it as well, but um, I think it was definitely a step up. I mean, look, in a, in a way, I was incredibly happy at the at the Daily Post and the Echo, and. Part of me was reluctant to move just because I loved it there and I suppose I was comfortable. But um, equally, you know, I was, I, I was offered the job of a motor racing correspondent at the Times and, you know, even though I was incredibly happy at the Post and Echo, it was a bit of a no-brainer, really, because mm-hmm. it was it was an incredible opportunity and um, there's a lot, obviously, going to be a lot of travel involved, which I'd never, you know, wasn't, I wasn't particularly widely widely travelled, I don't think I'd ever been to North America, for instance, <laughs> at that stage, and, uh, you know, so it was, it was a, it was a fantastic opportunity, and um, I did feel a bit daunted by it, but um, in a perverse, you know, and I, I, I do recognise this is perverse, but I also got lucky in, in, in the, the time that I joined Formula One, for my first year was 1993, first season, which was actually quite a, a routine season. Yeah, Alan Prost won it very easily. Second season, I was covering it, um, and Senna was yeah. killed at and and so Formula One was really a higher profile than it had, well, probably ever had um, yeah. for a couple of years, which coincided with me being involved in it. So, to say from a from a career point of view, it was it was it was very lucky, and I, I mean, I loved my time doing Formula One, and again, I had a great time with some. The colleagues that I was working with, who became great friends of mine, and it was a lovely circuit uh, back then. Uh, I don't know it as well now. I'm sure, I'm sure it still is. But you know, we we, we socialised with the drivers a reasonable amount, and it was a fairly small kind of circus in some ways. A lot of people we all knew each other. It was great. You know, it was an absolutely fantastic thing to be involved in. I'm I'm slightly digressing from obviously it's a football podcast, but you mentioned Ayrton Senna there. I mean, how hard must that have been to write someone about a guy who did so much for the sport of Formula One? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I suppose it was hard to an extent. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really know him. I, I to him. In fact, the first trip I ever went on, I introduced myself to him at, uh, at Heathrow. We were in the, I saw him in, a, in one of the shops and had a chat with him. And, you know, he was obviously an incredibly interesting guy, but I didn't know him personally. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the things, and this is either good or bad, I think one of the things being a journalist is um, sometimes the story overtakes you, you know, and, yes. and look, there, there were there were people there were people in that press room at Imola on that day, there were journalists in there who were in tears and people who knew him as a, you know, who knew him I suppose as a friend or had, or had, or had got 
to know him over the years, I wasn't really in that position. So yeah. I, you know, I, I kind of hate to say it in a way, but it, it was a, it was a story to me, and I think I was at that point. You, well, I certainly, you know, you you go into a professional. You start working in a professional capacity rather than a yeah, personal no, capacity, sure. and I, I, it was probably the it's probably the biggest story I've ever covered still. No. And, um, and so you are, you know, you're overtaken, I suppose, Absolutely. by the general of the yeah. story and the demand, the demands of uh, the demands of your job. And I think maybe after you after you finished you uh, after you finished writing it, you suddenly you step back and you think about the human, you start to think a little bit more about the human repercussions of this for Senna's family, um, for his fans, you know, and you start thinking about that then maybe. Yeah, you, you moving it back to football, um, 96, you became chief football writer. Um, England at the time were riding high, it was European Championships in, in England. What was it like to just be part of that experience? Because I, I, I was only five at the time. I, I only vaguely remember it, but it, it must have been absolute pandemonium. Yeah, it was pandemonium. I, I was still, um, I was still doing F one then. But I, you're right, you're right in that I, I, I did cover your own antics, but my ticket to that actually was that uh, I was still at the Times then, and the Times hired uh, uh, Sir Bobby Robson to be a columnist during Euro 96 uh -huh. and so I was lucky enough actually to be given a job ghosting ghosting his column during the tournament so that meant that I got to go to all the games um, and so uh, you know that's an amazing it, it was an amazing thing to cover and I in some ways never covered anything like maybe the London Olympics in 2012 yes. but in terms of the impact that it had on our country and the way that it brought people together through sport it was an amazing to witness the mania of it. it was just an amazing thing to be involved in and on another level for me it was fantastic to work with um sir bobby and meant i got to know him a little bit and when he moved to barcelona then later in his career i you know i went out to see him in barcelona and stayed friendly with him till the end of his life really which which was, which was a great village but um yeah it was, look that euro the euro 96 was a was a wonderful wonderful thing to be involved in and i suppose in some ways for a lot of us was walking up still for england fans i mean we, we have been in uh you know finally got to a, another semi-final in 2018 but um at the world cup but you know that that thing of having that in the semi-finals of a home was an amazing high. Yeah. You mentioned Bobby Robson. I mean, an absolute legend of world football, not just English football. But what is what is he like? He was great. I mean, he, he was probably he was probably similar to what you know is what you see is what you get. Really, he, he, he'd be similar to what other people's impressions of him are, having seen him seen him on television or whatever. He's a very warm guy um you know very friendly um intelligent incredibly articulate um hospitable you know when i went out to see him in barcelona we um he i stayed at his house he lived at, he lived in a, a resort called Sitges down the coast and i stayed with him and his and his wife there so you know it was that was a, a huge 
privilege. And he, no, he was, he was, I say, he was, he was as you would expect him to be, really. I mean, the last time I saw him when he was very ill and he was in a, uh, I was going to Wimbledon actually one year and I parked my car and, it, um, and I'd just got to just opposite the All England Club and I saw him sitting in a, he's sitting in his wheelchair and, um, mm. He said to me, I son and said, I'm just, uh, they've just got my Ferrari for me, which he meant his wheelchair, you know. And he, he, was, he, was just a, he was just a very easy guy yeah. to get to know. I think he inspired a lot of loyalty and warmth in pretty much everybody who knew him, really. Yeah, it's a real shame he's no longer with us. I mean, I, even as a Manchester United fan myself, I, I, I love Sir Bobby. Uh, I really wanted him to do so well at Newcastle. Um, and it, it, obviously, they never won a, a cup, which I thought would have been really special. But uh, he, he did so much for the game and, and forever will be remembered from my point of view. Um, moving back to yeah. yourself, um, obviously, you, you had your stint at the, the Times. Um, what was your highlights working there? Because a very popular newspaper still is. Um, what, what's your greatest things you'll take away from that? Uh, I think probably, well, I mean, I, I love doing the, I love doing the, the first Olympics I did was the um, uh, 2000 Olympics in, in Sydney. So that, that, I had an absolute ball at that. That was, that was a great privilege to do that. I think probably though, the, the, the most memorable thing for me was um, you'll like this was the was the 1999 uh, Champions League final. Yes. United winning in United winning Barcelona. I mean, again, that was incredible. You know, I was aware of the historical significance of that, having driven up, uh, grown up in South Manchester, been you know been to lots of United games. I was aware, obviously, of the Busby Babes and the yeah, the, you know, the fact that the history of, of that tournament special place of that tournament it has in United's history so to be at that to be at that game and for it to end in such a dramatic way clearly that presented quite a lot of professional uh, challenges and there were various things that happened that night which like systems went down at the News International etc that yeah. made it more complicated but even so it was an incredibly memorable night and mm. so um, I think that that you know that Definitely, it's a it's a memorable night for me. Ninety nine. I mean, I mean, I still replay it to this day. It's still one of my favourite footballing memories. Not just Manchester United memories. It's just absolutely sensational. You had your time yeah. at the Times, pardon the pun, and then you then moved to the Daily Mirror. I wanted to know why you decided to make the switch to there. Yeah, well, I, you know what, Grant? I could give you, I could give you all sorts of. Uh, all sorts of reasons, and some of them would have. I, I think. I think the main. But but if I'm going to be honest with you, the main one was probably money, and um, I think that I kind of, you know, I'd, I'd come up through the ranks at the times, and you know, sometimes when that you, you know you don't get paid as much as if you would as if you came in from somewhere else, and 
you know, I loved it at the Times, and, and obviously there's a great deal of prestige, sort of kudos of working for the Times. Yeah. But um, I, the Mirror offered me a lot more money, and I, so that was, you know, that was, I was young, I had a young family, so that was obviously a consideration. Sure. I also kind of, you know, I thought it would be a challenge. I quite like the idea of working across of working in a different medium, you know, working for a tabloid paper. Yeah. And, um, you know, as I say, I missed the comfort blanket of having the name of the Times behind me, but yeah. I did, in, you know, I, again, I think it taught me a lot as a journalist. I wanted to write a column, which I didn't have at the Times. It, it taught me that a tabloid, you can't be grey, you know, you have to be either black or white. Yeah. You have to... It makes makes your arguments more forceful. I think um, teaches you how to construct an argument uh, and to write polemics. Sometimes not necessarily a good thing, but anyway, I, I, it was a good discipline. And you know, I I actually I never regretted moving yeah, to the Mirror. Sure. I love working for the Mirror, and it kind of it was a paper then, and still is a paper now. I think that above its way we had a great camaraderie on the paper I think because of that and um, I love you know the colleagues that I worked for I got an immense amount respect for and you know we we all became very close yeah you i was just looking here you've also been very successful uh award winner in terms of your writing as well you you won the the what the papers say award in 2004 sports writer of the year 2005 sports journalist of the year 2006 is that detriment to lots of hard work determination what what is what what was the the sort of chemistry element to getting to be successful as that what was your your sort of ingredients to get to that stage yeah we kind of we do like an award ceremony <laughs> in our business I mean there's almost as many titles as there are in boxing yeah but um, uh, look I think I think one of the things is you kind of you have to there are a lot of people there are a lot of people who deserve awards and there would be people maybe those years when I won stuff who did better stuff than me those years and I think sometimes what it is is you just I've been lucky in my career that the places I've worked at have projected my stuff really well and yeah. sometimes that kind of sometimes that makes a difference you know if you if you get more space to write so you get more room to express yourself and I've, mm -hmm. I've just been very lucky like that and I was you know the mirror were the mirror was a fantastic place to work and you know that you they treated me extremely well. They gave, they projected my stuff really well, and I think that gave me an advantage. The fact that my stuff was projected well gave me an advantage over over some other people in terms of in terms of awards for for, for what they were. I mean, clearly, I was you know I was delighted to win those things and flattered to win them. But yeah, I think you have to try and put them in a bit of perspective and yeah. say that sometimes sometimes you have certain advantages when you're in a position like I was when you sports writing your stuff is being edited better than better than some other people's. Yeah. You're you're now at the mail on Sunday, um and what 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 is what is that like? Is that I think that's a totally different environment again to what you experienced at the mirror? Yeah, it is and obviously particularly the clearly that you're working on a Sunday and so really, you know, your stuff everything being projected into into one edition um, and so quite often 
part of my weeks tend to be backloaded. You know, maybe the bit quiet starts the week and then it'll get frantic um, towards the end of the week. Um, but again, you know, a, um, a great place a great place to work. I've been really lucky in my career that I've worked with great bosses and you know, I've never I've never worked for bullies and shouters and I've always worked for extremely able people well, in yeah, my opinion. Definitely. That you know, uh, people with great ideas, um who funnel ideas my way and funnel opportunities my way. Again, you know, I'm incredibly lucky in the way that my stuff is projected and the opportunities I get to you know, I'll you know, the opportunity to express myself, say, in interviews, you know, where I get a lot of space and everything, and which is great for job satisfaction. So yeah. I feel very fortunate that they're very, you know, it's a very able uh, desk and some great colleagues, and and I've enjoyed it. I say it's slightly different, but, um, you know, I... I Obviously, I always work on a Saturday now in terms of a live event mm-hmm. um, and try and do an interview every week and then have a column to write. Yeah. So, you know, so I'm still, it's not like I just work one day a week, but but, um, but it is a, it's a different discipline. Yeah. You touched on to our, a later question I was going to ask, which was about the standard preparation. Would that ramp up if there was, like, say, a big Champions League game, like if, say, Manchester United were in a Champions League semi-final or a big England game that was maybe, like, a quarter-final or a semi-final of a, of a major tournament? Yeah, I mean, it might, but, you know, it's, it's funny, and uh, 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 probably slightly blinker, but you, when you work for a Sunday newspaper, you, you do start to see everything through... Blinkers of what day it's on. Yeah. So, you know, however big it is, if it's on a Monday night, it, <laughs> there's not going to be a lot left to write about by that's, the time you get to Sunday. Yeah. So, however, however big it is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, look, we're fortunate in some ways in that the say Champions League final recently has always been on a Saturday, which that's true. is which is fantastic, you know, for us. And but, but you know, when so when the when the dates of a tournament come out, for instance, the first thing I look for is what England games are on a Saturday. Yes. And or or if they're on a Friday night, that's not too bad because then all the reaction is going to you know the, the Saturday daily papers will have the result, the action, but all the reaction would be for Sunday, all the all the kind of inquest and everything. So. You know, though you you start to work on that thesis, really. What you know, what is on a Saturday games can you cover? What live action can can you cover on a Saturday? Mm-hmm. No, that's really interesting. I just wanted to know that a little bit uh, in more depth. You're you're also involved um, on the Sunday Sky Sports program, Sunday Supplement, which I watch now and again. Um, obviously, Jackie yeah. Oatley has come on it uh, recently, uh, which I think is fantastic. Uh, what's it like being involved with other journalists from other newspapers, and also what's it like working with them? Well, I think the thing is with um, with our job, with the sports writers' job, is that actually the journalists from other newspapers are the colleagues that you, you see most of. Because so, you know, it's not it's not maybe like. Um, Another job where maybe you know you you are you know you're not office based. Yeah. You're not. I, I know journalists from other papers better than I know journalists from my own paper, just because I tend to travel with a group of journalists who do a job similar to mine. Yeah. And we're all on different, we're all on different papers, so um, 
that and I think it's being eroded slightly as newspapers shrink but nevertheless you know working with other journalists we're all there's a kind of there's a camaraderie yeah. about it um, we're all in the same situation um, we're in a thinking industry and I think sometimes that camaraderie supersedes everything else though yeah. fortunately in terms of the programme it doesn't stop there being arguments and I, I think <laughs> I think that program does manage to replicate a little bit the kind of kind of arguments that we have over dinner after a game or yes. something, which I think I think is what it's trying to do, and I think maybe it's one of the reasons why it's it's a very it's a very interesting program I really enjoy it I, I love some of the discussions and and Jackie's a really good uh, presenter of the show and she's certainly going places in the in the media and journalism game yes she is I mean you know she's incredibly uh, she's incredibly uh, unflappable actually and you know you realize when you work with somebody like her what a skilled what a skilled um, what a skilled job it is and I think it's also uh, indicative maybe and not before time uh, of the fact that women are becoming more and more prominent um, in sports writing and in in football writing in particular you know I was was at the I I went to the Women's World Cup um, last summer and um, you know, it was a real lesson to me, actually. And, and look, it shouldn't have been a lesson. I should have been aware of it already. But um, there are a lot of um, female sports writers out there who maybe haven't had that been given the platform mm-hmm. to write quite as much as they as they um, should have been before. But yeah. they were given the platform. Um, a lot of them at the, at the World Cup, and they seized that opportunity. A lot of them with both hands and and. You know, it was, um, well, I enjoyed covering that tournament as much as I've covered uh, anything really for a long time. And I think partly because it was, because I got that impression of yeah. of, uh, of an emerging, you know, a, a, a new kind of talent force emerging there that obviously should have been given a chance before. And that, you know, that is not to say that people like Alison Rudd, who was, who was, uh, who has been uh, somebody I've admired for a long time, works for the Times, you know, have not done well before. But I think finally, you know, people like Alison Rudd have been, have been, you know, almost lone voices yeah. in the past. I think finally we are beginning to get a few more uh, women coming to the fore in, in, um, in football writing. Yeah, no, I fully agree, and I think it's fantastic to see that as well. I was looking through, you You also do a lot of bibliography as well. You did a couple of things in the past. Um, one of them I've noticed, I've just quenched things, is, there's the one that says, if you're second, you are nothing, Ferguson and Shankly. That must have been wonderful to, to be involved with. And also doing some ghostwriting stuff with Stan Collymore, Graham Lasso, and Neil Walnick. Yeah, yeah, I've done, I mean, look, I've done quite a lot of ghostwriting. I like ghostwriting. It's, it's not quite as much work as doing, um, as doing a popular book, but it's, um, it's a great way to get to know footballers. And, uh, you know, these days um, there are fewer and fewer opportunities, really, mm-hmm. to, to do that because barriers, the barriers are, are greater and greater. Um, for, for 
people to get to know players and so that that's one that's absolutely one one way and and I quite like the idea of being able to capture somebody else's voice so yeah I mean Neil I, I love doing it but all those people all the people I've done this yeah. have been it's been great I've enjoyed it but Neil I think Neil Neil Warnock's book I love doing because he'd had a by the time we did it, you know, he'd had a really full life in football and he had, you know, he'd worked at the top level, but he'd also had some fantastic stories uh, and anecdotes about uh, life in the lower league. So, you know, that was that was a real, that was, a, that was really interesting. I loved doing that. Yeah, I know, it's fantastic. And he, he's just a fantastic guy, Neil Warnock, and certainly knows his football, that's for sure. Um, just about coming to the end of this podcast, Ollie, I've really enjoyed just hearing some of your stories. I've just got a few other little questions I wanted to ask you. Um, the first one I wanted to ask was... Um, Similar to footballers in some papers, can you be judged on the standard of writing you produce, and how easy is it to be keep yourself strong mentally from potential criticism, abuse on social media, or by letters, etc.? How do you combat that? Yeah, that's a good question, Brad. I think, and um, I look. I think there are a few things to consider with that and so I, I, I spend a reasonable amount of time on Twitter I suppose probably more than I should and <laughs> I think there, are, there, are, there are levels of, there are levels there I think to deal with and one, one thing is that I think that as a, as a football writer uh, sports writer you give out criticism which sometimes we do then you have to be you have to be prepared to take some yeah. and I think um some of the criticism on Twitter is absolutely is absolutely fair, and actually, I think to use another cliche, some of it keep honest. And I think some of the criticism I get, I think, yeah, okay, fair enough. I, you know, a lot of the people on Twitter know more about that club's players that you're talking about than you do or than I do. So, I absolutely accept that. Um, then I think clearly there's another <laughs> there's another level of criticism that is just sort of um, abuse, and I think you have to like anybody. I think um, you have to make a decision there whether if, if, if you've written something that you know is going to um, attract abuse, and and a lot of it does because football's a very tribal um, a very tribal kind of medium. Absolutely. So, you know, you're going to get a lot of abuse a lot of the time, and a lot of football writers do. Probably not as much abuse as footballers themselves get, and other people in the public eye. I totally accept that. And by the way, while we're at it, um, by a distance, as far as I can see, the people who get the most abuse are women's sports writers. Yes. And some of the abuse that they get is, is vile. Absolutely. And, is, and, and they get it for nothing. By That's the way, terrible. as well, they get it for decent, just decent stories that they get. That the, the abuse that they get is vile. Oh, so shocker. I kind of, you know, the stuff that I get is not in is not in a similar league to that. Yeah. But I think that even within that, there are times when I don't know. You know, we all have we all have good days and bad days. And if I if I feel if I'm I don't know, say I'm just about to go to bed or I'm feel like I haven't had a very good day or then I don't look at I won't look at some of the mentions mm -hmm. that, you know I look at I look at my the, the, you know my main feed or whatever but I won't look at that the mentions feed just because I think sometimes you do have to just protect yourself absolutely and, 
and you know you don't have to look at it that's the thing I think I think where I'm fortunate is that I'm older I understand that these days we have a compulsion to share and I think particularly younger people younger generations to me have a compulsion to look at, at what they're saying I think I'm old enough that I I can just about disassociate myself from from yeah. it and think, okay you know I'm not feeling massively um you know, I'm not in a great mood tonight. I better just leave it alone. Yeah. I'm not going to look at it because it's yeah. not going to make me feel any better. And I, and I don't want to go to bed thinking about it. No, you absolutely. Know, I think, yeah. You know, I think sometimes we all have to protect ourselves from that a little bit. No, 100%. I think you responded to that very, very well. Very interesting to hear that. And I, I could agree with quite a lot of what you said there. Um, we mentioned intriguing people that you've interviewed or written about. We said Neil Warnock. Is he the, the, the most intriguing person you've you've written about? Uh, I'm not sure. I think he's certainly he's had one of the richest lives in football. I think. I mean, I you know I think there were so many good people to write about in sport. I mean, boxers incredibly tend to be incredibly sort of good subjects. Um, I think for my time in Formula One, I you know I'm, I love films. I'm a bit of a film buff, so I, I kind of when I worked in Formula One. Sorry, I know we're going off the football. You mentioned Neville. I mean, I, I love the the camaraderie between him and Jimmy Carragher on the, on Sky Sports. Absolutely fantastic. Um, what is your advice for younger people, maybe younger than myself, who are wants to fancy a career in journalism? What advice would you give them based on your journey to date? I, you know what? I give them I give them really boring advice, which is um, that there are no shortcuts and that. Uh, um, look, I, I think it's probably harder to get into the job now and probably harder to succeed. There's more competition than there was when I was younger. But I'd just say work, you know, there's, there, it is really dull, but there's no substitute for hard work. And if you, you know, the, some of the people, the most successful people I know in my job, people like, Matt Dickinson, um, Martin Samuel, Paul Haywood are incredibly hard workers and worked incredibly hard when they were young. Um, you know, spoke to a lot of people, were uh, persistent. Uh, you know, persistence is something that I'm not particularly good at, but I, yeah. you know, don't take no for an answer. Go back to people. Yeah. You know, and that and that applies when you're when people are writing to journalists as well to ask for opportunities. If, yeah. they don't, if they don't reply to you, don't just go away. Write to them again, you know. And and I, I think just, you know, I, I wasn't bright enough to get anywhere without hard work, but I think that, I think that, I, I think that 
the vast majority of people that there are no shortcuts. You know, it's not it's not just going to happen for you like magic. You've yeah. got to you've got to make it happen. Do you also feel that? the sort of advice you would give us to try and find time to relax as well because um, you, you said it earlier on that you they have a family and how, how does working in journalism affect time you spend with your family because if the phone is ringing all the time and you've got pieces to write does that take that opportunities away a wee bit or do you have to just work yeah, around that? I think that? it can do I think it can do I mean I think I think on the Sunday newspaper, you know, it's been an eye-opener for me because I've worked on a Sunday newspaper for five years now. Until I did that, any, you know, any day of the week, really, we were vulnerable to a call saying, this has happened, we want you to write on it. Um, and it's, I think that think that the vast majority of daily newspaper journalists are, are prey to that. And it's, it, it, it can be difficult, you know, it can be difficult. It's just something that you... I think you and your families come to accept and to try and to try and live a little bit different on a on yeah. a Sunday because um, because if something happens on Monday then you know it's not it's not effectively it's not in your time but for the vast majority it's it's difficult there's, you know there's no way around that I think it's one of the it's one of the uh, you know sorry I know it's laughable to talk about sacrifices particularly in this time mm-hmm. but it, it's one of the uh, the better word one of the compromises that um, journalists and their and their families have to make is that is that you are liable to get a cut at any time. Last question before I wrap this up, Ollie. What's next for you on this journey? Is it is it still to stick away with where you are at the moment, or is there one big move to come? Maybe see England win a, a major championship in your in your time left. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Well, Ollie, we're, we're just about at the end now. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. Really interested to hear some of your stories. And thank you very much for being a guest on the Campbell's Footballs podcast. I've really enjoyed it. It's an absolute pleasure, Grant. And best of luck with it. It was a, uh, a pleasure talking to you, mate. No worries at all. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, 
Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91 on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night!